Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in snowy Santa Cruz, California. Yes, Winter Wonderland. It is a Winter Wonderland. Actually, it was more rainy today, but there is still snow in the... um, What was the lowest elevation that we had snow in? We had it on the beach. I had it in my house. Well, I mean, yes. Yeah, I think we had it at at a foot above sea level. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck's gone wrong with the weather? Um, it's Snowmageddon. It is Snowmageddon. Um, so let's get to who is in the room and who is not in the room. I, of course, am Emma. Hello, darlings. It's simply smirking to be with you tonight. Uh, sitting next to me on the board is Johnny. Hey, everybody. Snowy. Just call me Snowman John at this point. <laughs> okay, radio, radio Snowman John. And on the classy girl couch, extremely classy, is Craig. Keeping it classy. Yes, you are the classiest, darling. Um, sitting actually a couple of seats down from his window seat is Jim. Mama told me not to come. And here you are. Came anyway. <laughs> Came anyway. And at the window... It's Doug. No, it's me. I took Jim's spot. I'm sorry, Jim. No, that's okay. I get to be closer to Craig. Now, um, coming from his fabulous bijou workshop in Veneta, Oregon, it's the Bagler. Greetings from uh, not not quite so snowy, snowy Oregon. We had a little bit of snow, but it's all gone now. Really? Um, yep. And um, well, it's lovely to see you, Bagel. And um, Finally, Liza is actually not with us in the studio. Um, I, Liza is in Cincinnati, which the Cognoscenti tell me is in Ohio. Hello, Liza. Hello. What are you doing in Cincinnati? Oh, jobby job stuff. Okay. Well, it's Sunday, darling. You shouldn't be working on a Sunday. Tell me about it. What word did you... Co- cognoscenti? What is that? <laughs> the Cognoscenti. They're the, they're the ones who know everything, darling. Oh. Yes. Never and, he, and I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank all of you all, Doug, Emma, everyone who pitches in when I'm not there and keeps everything running. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we, we do remarkably little. Me, me <laughs> less than anybody else. Unless but. we're running out of time. I thought you, That's you, going to be the opposite. I thought you were blowing so, a gasket on the floor earlier when I walked in. There was a big puddle of brown leaked fluid i couldn't I said, help oh, it no I, I had indian food and a couple of gin and tonics yesterday <laughs> yeah. and i just couldn't help myself a little bit no i no um doug god bless him he bought me a lovely coffee and i was so looking forward to enjoying it but of course the workshop at the misfits is quite small and when you get a few people in there sitting around watching television because of course we've got a nice new I'm not going to call it a big screen. I'd say it's a fair screen television. <laughs> there, there are computer monitors that are bigger than that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's a much better screen than what it's, was it's there. A, it's an upgrade. Screen. It is an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once you've got a p- couple of people in there watching that, and then a couple of people doing fork seals, and then me trying to scrape all the old funky tint from the back window of my truck and apply new tint... Um, I got the the heat gun cord and, and I knocked my coffee over and I was terribly oh, no. upset about it. Yeah, it was. Oh no! But it's just, it's black coffee, so it won't stink out the joint. Um, what well, was funny because I was tiptoeing around for twenty minutes. I thought it was oil, and I was like, "Ew!" And Jim was no, like, "Stay ew. away from that." <laughs> and then and then uh, we found out it was coffee. I was like, "Oh." So no, I was I was quite enjoying the show. So um, talking about shows, we have a show tonight um, of sorts. 
I would say we could probably call it the show. We're going to talk a little bit about Thumpers later, and I'm not talking about Johnny. However, um, we had a couple of visitors in the uh, the garage today. The weather really kept a lot of people away because on and off it was a pissing down, as we say in England. Um, but Ellie's riding, God bless her. Ellie rides in all weathers, as do you, Jim. Yeah, I've seen Ellie riding hard in the rain. And uh, I was going camping one day, and it was pouring rain as I'm leaving. And I'm like, who's this person riding in the rain? And it was Ellie. Yeah, she rides hard. Right. So um, Ellie did fork seals and brakes on her Versus 650. And I am reminded how odd Versus 650s are. And I mean, I know the current Vogue is to put all the damping mechanism in one fork and all the springing mechanism in the other. But it's just, it's so still dis- disconcerting when you strip down the forks of a bike and they're completely different. And you're like, these belong on different machines. But there we are. Um, and we had to do a little bit of fabrication for, with a tool to get the one apart. But worked out in the end. That was a with, big job. With minutes to spare. That was a big job. Exactly. And I came in <clears throat> late, of course, which didn't help. Um did you do anything? Well, I know you opened today, Doug, which mm. I'm very, very grateful for. Yeah. Um, did you do anything on any of your bikes today? No, I, I did not ride today. Right. Now, um, your 650, which I have decided I'm going to call White Riot, which is uh, quite <laughs> an appropriate name. That was an English punk band in the 70s. The Clash. Yes. They had a song, White Riot. Yes, they did. So, um, <clears throat> how's that been doing? Great. I'm loving it. They're good bikes. Runs like they? a dream, yeah. Yeah. I should have had one 10 years ago. I know, and you can buy, this is the wild part, you can buy a brand new one, Mm -hmm. and it rides exactly the same as yours, which rides exactly the same as the 1988 model. And parts aplenty. Yeah, exactly. It's 650L? This is a 650L, it's a 99 650L. So you have ridden KLR 650s, which is a a favorite amongst Liza (laughs) and others. Um, How would you compare the two? uh smiles per miles totally on the 650l yeah yeah the the klr was kind of just more of a tool yeah it's it's certainly got i feel more character i mean my major criticism of the klr it is a very very good bike and i certainly wouldn't trash it um as such but it's quite utilitarian isn't it i mean it's a tool for yeah it was just there right you know and yeah i had a nice ride on it but it wasn't Right. As fun as other bikes, you know. Um, but the XR, a lot more character. It's it's a tall bike, though. Bloody hell, it's too yeah, tall Yeah, I too like that about it, me. though. I like that. Well, your legs are longer than mine, oh, yeah. darling. Yeah, I'm also some 6'1", so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm loving that bike. <laughs> White Riot. I like uh, it. No, it's great. It's a perfect yeah. name for the bike. Yeah. Um, well, Charlie was down. He had he was knee deep in stuff too. He had front brake caliper. He got yelled issues. at by Emma today. Well, <laughs> I suspect no. And I mean, I'm not going to throw Charlie under the bus. Charlie either was very embarrassed about his choices, or he was genuinely ripped off. And I'm more inclined to feel the latter because um, Charlie brought down his race bike. And is it, it was a 400? Yeah, yeah. Ninja, Ninja 400. Ninja, yeah. Very good bike indeed. And he was grumbling about how crappy his front brake was. And it was indeed crappy. And so we pulled it apart. And I'm, I'm popping a lot on this mic, John. Hang on. I'm going to back off a little bit because I'm pop, pop, pop. Um, we pulled the brake apart 
And cut a long story short, it had the cheapest, nastiest brake pads I have ever seen in a bike. And they were burned. <laughs> Those things were they were burned? Every oh colour under the rainbow. Because wow. it's, and they were glazed. Mm. And Whoa. so Charlie said quite rightly, I mean, what is the correlation between a shitty front brake and these? And I said, well, look, the heat generation from these pads to get any kind of braking mm. is so great. Your, your brake fluid's boiling behind the pistons, and that's why it's spongy and nasty, and you've got no braking. So um, I'm going to get him a decent set of brake pads in it. Um, and uh, we'll, were they were they hung up or something? Because yeah, they, I mean they bled, were. He bled everything, and it didn't feel bad, but it yeah. felt springy. Yeah. They were exactly what it was doing. It was they were bent, and so yeah. when he pressed the pistons, oh. it had to flatten it out. Yes. By, the, by, the, by that time, your, your pull was over. Right, exactly. Uh, we, and, you we know, the backing a... plate, you know, because if you, if you look at brake pads on a bike, you've got a metal backing plate mm-hmm. with a friction material adhered to it. A lot of big words floating around tonight, <laughs> isn't it, Johnny? <laughs> um, and then um, this, the backing plate was like, it was just nasty. Yeah. Mm. It was thin. It was horrible. And... Why I'm reluctant to throw Charlie under the bus, he said, I paid for EBC double-centered brake pads for this bike. And that's what I thought they were. And they were indeed the right color because the the EBC pads are a very, very kind of copper, bright copper color, which these originally started out before they got burnt. But the thing is with EBC, they're quite proud of their pads, so they put lots and lots of stamping on them and marking mm. and etching so you know they're EBC pads. And these had none of nothing. that. There's yeah. nothing. They were obviously cheap. Wow. Um, I'm not going to say a name because I know what brand they were. And this company, um, it's very good if you just want cheap and cheerful parts to either sell a bike or just get you down the road. But, of course, Charlie's racing this thing, and Charlie is a quick young man, really quick young man. And, of course, it's only got one rotor on the front, yeah. mm-hmm. so you need decent brakes. So, anyway, um, he rounded off one of the pins as well. Well done, Charlie. But we averted that crisis, and so we ordered a couple of new genuine pins. I'll get him a set of pads from Mototown this week, and then uh, he'll be down the road. And he flipped his tire, his rear tire again today. Yes, he's yeah. doing the road, the, the, yes, yeah. turn it around to get the max, mm. maximum traction. Um, Jim, how's it, I, I mean, you're, are you commuting on the bike in all this crap weather, or are you are you kind of breaking down and driving a I little was, bit? I uh, was, up until it started freezing. So, yeah, last week, <clears throat> when we had kind of the freezing temperatures, I stopped, because, you know. Well, you're smart, I mean. The thing is with bikes... That's one thing, but... Yeah, I mean, riding in the rain, you can mitigate all of that. But as soon as you hit ice or black ice, you're done for. Yeah, you know, and there's so much debris coming down in the road with, with all the weather we've been having. Um, yeah, I think it might we might get ice again tonight. So, you know, that we get plenty of nice riding weather. And I don't mind riding in the rain, like I said. If it's rainy and 45 degrees, that's one right. thing. But when it's rainy and 36... It's yeah, not that's quite as much fun. Especially it's know, still dark in the mornings, you know. For, for our listeners who listen overseas, or for our listeners in America, who as soon as you hear the word California, your eyes roll back in your head and you don't listen, we have been pounded by some crazy weather here in this last week or so. Storm has brought snow, um, very very high winds. I think 
Monday or Tuesday. Mm. I was getting Tuesday was the day. Tuesday. I I just kept the door of my shop closed. Mm-hmm. The moment I opened the door, it literally blew me on my ass. It was that mm. strong. Yeah, John might be sleeping on Liza's couch tonight. Yes. Actually, no, no storms Probably tonight. for a couple of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, and deservedly so, I might add, John. But we're going to come to that in a bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you completely, Jim. But you, I mean, you're hardcore. You ride around. Well, in- one of the reasons I, I like riding in the rain is because that's usually when traffic's the worst. You know? Right. So then, you know, you can you can lane split, you can lane filter. And, you know, because on 17, you're guaranteed to have some sort of carnage. You know, anything Oh, God, 17 so. was closed yesterday. <clears throat> Liza's getting extremely excited. What's up, darling? I have an announcement to make. I wanted to get a couple announcements. Oh, off you go then. <clears throat> So maybe some of you saw, um, did you see the new t-shirt design? No, no, no. That I got announced. Well, I don't know if you can see this here. No, I can't. Oh, it looks. Uh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. It. I like that. That's a, that's okay. a great design. Yes. Oh, I like nice. it. Give it so, the beans. <laughs> give it the beans. Exactly. Uh, it's that time of year for all of our Patreon subscribers for $5 or more. They get a free t-shirt. Nice. And what so, a t-shirt. I've designed the shirt, and all you have to do is be a Patreon subscriber, new or old, it doesn't matter, $5 or more, and you'll be sent a promo code to get it uh, shipped to you. In the U.S., shipping is included, and if you're outside of the U.S., you just have to pay for the shipping, but the shirt is still free. It's pre-orders right now. I have to get all the orders in so that I can get them printed up. So get your orders in now, and if you haven't already become a Patreon subscriber, now's the time to do it. Well, you should anyway, because it's not just about the the free T-shirt. I mean, Jim has a very, very special place in his heart right there for our Patreon subscribers. I I keep a very, very special place in my bottom for Patreon subscribers. (laughs) Especially when we're losing at the track. Oh God, yeah. I hate I hate it when we're losing when we're losing on the nags and I've turned to the gin and tonics. It's a terrible oh, no. thing. Um No, I mean Patreon subscribers, they're really what keeps the show going and you know, I hate to sound like an old record and do the hard sell, but without you guys there would be no misfits. Um the recycle garage would go on because it's kind of the garage. But Misfits, the show, you know it. We'd, we'd be nothing without Patreon right, right. We'd have tin cans and strings. <laughs> yes. Hello. Can you hear me now? Hello. Uh, and then second Emma, announcement. Yes, darling. You have an announcement to make. Do I? You do, about the Castles and Curves trip. Oh, well, I mean, I do. Yes. But I was going <clears> to <throat> save that to later in the show. Oh, I thought it would be a good time to make announcements because you only have two spots left. Exactly. And I mean, the response to um, the Misfits training tour and the Castles and Curves tour has been absolutely overwhelming. We are going to have an absolute whale of a time. And I personally promise you're going to have the time of your life. You really are. Um, Kat is such a solid guy. Um, I have my moments, but the riding is just unbelievable. Um, and we just have two spots left on the Castles and Curves tour. I've seen some of the photographs of where we're staying and where we're eating. It is incredible. It's like a Hansel and Gretel fairy tale. We're staying in 13th century castles. We're eating in original 
medieval restaurants with original medieval menu. So I hope you like wow. venison cooked over an open fire. <laughs> Botulism. Exactly. More. No, it's um, <laughs> a little bit of bubonic plate thrown in there for yeah. just a um, little delicacy. Yeah, sign up for it. Just sign up for it. Let's get those last two places filled because as soon as we've done that, we can actually move on with um, more of the planning phase. We can start getting all the stuff out that you need to know before we leave. It's going to be great. It really is. I'm so excited to be going back to the Italian Alps, uh, to the uh, Dolomites again, because the riding is just like nothing I've ever encountered. Um, And the Castles and Curves Tour, I'm super excited about, because I like history, because I'm old myself. Mm. Oh, I've got an announcement. How about that, Liza? Yes. yes. Would you like to know what's happening next Wednesday? What's happening next Wednesday? It's, it's my happening. birthday. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, blimey. Oh. Hey, Emma, you look great for 79. Thank you, darling. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm not actually 79, but I am 61, which comes as quite a surprise to me because when you're young, you never think you're going to get to this far, but you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell you what, when I get up in the morning, oh, I feel 79. My body is very clunky, <laughs> and I, I usually have to stand under the hot shower and drink Ooh. gallons of hot tea before things start moving properly. Just wait, it gets better. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it will. Oh, there's another announcement. I don't know. Oh, why. yes, go on then. And I, do I need Liza's permission? Yes. No, no don't. I'll give it to go you. for it. Uh, so, if everyone has gotten their new AMA magazine, there is the centerfold spread. Oh God, is Chickistan. Haven't seen it yet. I'm out of town. Liza hasn't seen it. So yeah, it came in the mail east of my mailbox on Friday, and I get the cover and I'm looking at it. I'm like, it's like Pakistan. I'm like, Jesus, another Pakistan trip. Everybody's going to Pakistan. (laughs) (laughs) And I start thumbing through it, and lo and behold, like an angel, Haley Bell appears. So I see this picture (laughs) of Haley. I'm like, wait, that's Haley Bell. I'm like, oh, it was the Chickistan trip. So it's like a, it's a big old spread. So congratulations. And you know, it's funny. Thank you. AMA magazine, and I promise it's not deliberate, but they've been kind of mirroring our trips. Um, I remember when we did the um, the Dolomites trip, I think the following month in the AMA magazine, it showed an article on riding the exact same roads that we were on. And, of course, you know, Vintage Days plays a huge part in in the AMA calendar, as it does in ours. The one show plays a huge part. It's like a who's who and what's what of what we're up to. I think it's just we are as ubiquitous as the AMA at this stage. How do you, how do you feel about that, Liza? <laughs> or we just maybe are well-connected and communicate with them a lot. But yes. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like to think that we, we, do te- we do tell the AMA what we're doing, and they, uh, they like the information, so... Um, no, and and so, for that, um, for that, uh, for the AMA uh, magazine, that's Aaron Retta, who was uh, one of the ladies on the Chick Stand trip, who works for the AMA, and I met her at Americade last year. And it's so fun how these trips that we take and, the, and events we go to, we just keep building our our group bigger and bigger. Right. And that's how I met Aaron, who came on the trip. Also, Maggie McNally Bradshaw. Um, and had a great time, and so glad that they loved her story. And she's the one who wrote about her experience there. 
Yeah, I read a little bit of it. It's very engaging. And the photography, the pictures they included were also really good. Really good photography. I thought it was a great, oh, well yeah, done, you, just a you, well done spread. As someone who has never been, you, you, you really get a sense of how big the, the views are yeah. there and how spectacular. Picture askew is the word I want to use. Um, just it's an amazing looking place. I'll get, I'll get out there one of these days. I mean, the big one for me this year, obviously, after Europe, is Vietnam in the fall. Um, and I'll be pushing for people to join on that. Oh, you want to come too? <laughs> no, I have another announcement. Oh, do you? They keep coming. <laughs> they keep, well, okay, John, I haven't told you this yet. Oh, God. But it involves uh, is he going to fall off his chair? The rabbit died. Are you it, volunteering it, him for something? No, but and bagel. This may involve you too. Oh, oh wow! So this is this not a, this not it's this isn't official yet. But I'm thinking this is a great idea. And I want to run, run it by you. Sponsored bid so, Last year I did the chick stand trip, and John did stump a stand. And then both John and I were talking about doing trips again next year. And I thought maybe we should just combine them and have a co-ed trip. Stump a Stumpy chick, chick stand. Jump a stand. Jump a stand. What? I'm looking for and a reaction in John. He looks too. absolutely terrified. Boys and girls. Jump a stand. I don't know. John, what do you think about that? What do you think if we just combined them and had a big misfits in Pakistan trip? Um, I think I think it could be fun Uh-oh, as long as you've got is. enough motorcycles. There it is. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll talk, but I was just thinking, you know, might as well pull our resources and just have fun together. Yeah. Anyway, that's my, uh, my announcement is I had a brain fart. There you go. Okay. Very <laughs> back, good. To the, back to the show. Well, back to the show. <laughs> I hadn't quite finished going around the room yet as to what people have been doing with their time. Uh, Craig, what have you been up to that's interesting? Well, John and I had quite the time riding dirt bikes. Well, you've got a ride report. Yes. And before we get to the ride report, um, how's the school going? Probably quite quiet right now. It's a little sleepy. We're still getting the signups, just not quite as many as we normally do. Those three weeks of rain. Right. um, Kind of. People weren't thinking motorcycles during those three weeks, uh, but we're. But it, it was a great opportunity for us to prep. We got uh, the container where we store all the motorcycles. We got it all cleaned, some new shelves. We got um, it all dialed in. So really, what this has given us an opportunity to catch our breath, catch up a little bit. Right. It happens every year. Gets a little slow, and then right around March. Um, the key will hit the ignition and, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be firing on all cylinders. I like the sound of that. And finally, John, yes. anything yeah. interesting going on in the stumpy household that you can share on the show? Because <laughs> I know there's a lot of stuff oh, yeah, going on going. right now. But bike stuff? You probably None. haven't been doing much riding, have you? Well, I mean, oh. Craig and I did a ton of riding last week. Well, yes. Yeah, but that's non- what I want you guys to talk no, about. No, no, we, we want to do the ride report, but just the general day-to-day stuff. Um yeah, so, uh, you know, we got so much snow. I've been really just trying to, like, stay alive up there. We just, I, I just got a text. Our power just came back on. Oh, great. Thankfully. So it's been yeah. a crazy week. Road closures, there. power Yeah, I couldn't on, get out for a couple out. days again. It's crazy up there. So finally, because I know you're both itching to do it, tell me about the ride report. Where have you two been? 
Well, we went. So everyone flew, took the bir- the birdie, the way of the little birdie out to Vegas for yes. AIM Expo. Yes, we did. And John and I decided, nah, we didn't want to get on the bird. We wanted to ride dirt bikes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So we headed out, and uh, our first stop was we dove right into the Valley of the Fire. Well, we stayed in Mesquite, Ooh. Yep, uh, Nevada, which is on the border of uh, Utah, Nevada. So we were in a beautiful casino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were in a bit of a... How would you explain that casino? <laughs> wow. this If you took a slice, like a literal slice of Americana, the like what America truly is in the middle. I mean, forget about LA, New York, but what, yeah, what's yeah. really in the in the, the navel of America? And <laughs> like uh, the navel lint. <laughs> yeah, you take a deep a of, dive into that navel lint. A lot of old lint in there. <laughs> Gazing into the navel. Especially at the buffet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the, my favorite part. Um, the, Surely you mean the buffet? <laughs> the buffet. Wait, yeah. so so where's Valley of Fire? That's not, not the one. There's one in California. I think there's a bunch of them, though. Where's so this Valley at? of the Fire is in um, just outside Mesquite, Nevada, about okay. 20 miles, mostly to the east, a little south of yeah. uh, kind of half... Halfway, be- not quite halfway between Vegas and Mesquite. Okay. okay. And um, it is incredible. The riding Yeah, how was, was the riding? Is it high desert, it low was desert, all time. scrub? It was all time. It was, it was incredible. It was so, high desert. High desert. At first, you're, you're going and, you know, there's some a couple layers of cliffs. But then as you get deeper into it, you get into this red rock. Similar, kind of similar to Moab. Not quite as red, but pretty close. And then Lots you, of canyons canyons and cliff edges and hill climbs that lead to sheer cliffs that have very marked tracks going straight up and then they just end at the cliff edge (laughs) usually you think with trails that mark that they go somewhere right (laughs) and um we found some sand dunes in the middle of the cliffs john and i went out there and we were doing some sand hill climbs in the middle of the um in the middle of the red rocks, like on the cliffs. There were, so, the, there oh, were cool. these weird sections where it would be nothing but rock, and then there would be just this like 800-foot cascade of sand. Right. Wow. And uh, that you, was really fun. What were you riding, Craig? I had the Husqvarna FE501. That's right. And John? I was on the DRZ. Okay. Um, and I know the Husky's got just stupid power. It's the best it's ever been running. It's it's yeah. incredible. And, and how, uh, yeah, how did the DR do? Get out of its depth a little bit. No, sometime? we still need to. Me- something's not right with the carburetor. Because okay. the, the issue I was having was on downhills. Uh, it would just uh, if I pulled in a clutch, it would just die. It just bog out. Yeah, right. So yeah. Which, which scared the but Jesus out of me a couple times. Well, it'll wake you up a bit. <laughs> yeah. It's a little disconcerting. Yeah, you had to always keep the because I wrote it a little bit. It was like you always had to be, rap 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 like. Basically, the whole time you're riding, right. unless you're just going straight. Yes. So it was a little tricky, but he managed it, actually. He, yeah. he did better. Sharpen up your skills, John. Yeah, absolutely. I put lowering links on it, so um, it helped. <laughs> yeah. So um, do you think this area is motorcycle only? Do you think the four-wheelers that go out there? We saw some side-by-sides. There's some four-wheelers, motorcycles. It's an OHV um, place and uh, BLM. Mm-hmm. very close by and part okay. of that so you know it's wild west desert you can get lost you can get off trail easy as both well, we of had us did <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um 
it was it was incredible. Highly recommend people going out there. My, of course, personal favorite would be a lightweight dirt bike, but you could take some some middleweight adventures out there, adventure bikes out there. And you just pick the trail based on what you're riding. Well, we had one interesting moment at, in Valley of Fire. We had a we bunch, did. but we did. So we we came to a spot where um where we decided to head sort of up the side of a cliff through an undulating, and we got about halfway up there, and I was really struggling, and. Uh, and Craig was obviously Craig. Craig's a phenomenal rider, and it was just so much fun just watching him. But at some point, I'm like, I'm over my head. This is this is trouble. So we talked, and I said, Look, why don't you go ahead and I'll, I'll double back and go back the other way. We'll meet in the middle. So I headed back, and I'll let Craig tell his part. I headed back and promptly made a wrong turn, and ended up probably about five <laughs> miles off of the trail, back in the middle oh, of God. the back in the shit. Yeah, and uh, did you pack shoes? Jim taught us. That's what those tennis shoes come in handy. But it was one of those things where, like, it was it was getting gnarly. The trail was disappearing, and it was starting to get wasn't dark, but it was like three thirty, four o'clock. Like now, the pressure's on. You got to get back. I did not want to stay in the desert at night, so I had to double back. But it was it was funny because we talked about this afterwards. It was like it was one of those moments where it's like I have got to do this. It doesn't matter. I've just got to do this, and I'm just gonna do it. And it was, so I psyched myself up and I was able to get out of there, thankfully. But it was, uh, I was a little bit, it, I was intimidated there. Well, in the sand, it, it it's exhausting enough, but when you start getting anxious, you get yes. a little bit more tense and yep. you're, uh, and it gets sketchy. Like you said, after three o'clock when the sun starts yeah. going down, it gets, it gets real, real fast. Yeah. The desert's cold at night. I mean, you could die there in a minute. <clears throat> it's like that classic horror movie moment where <laughs> we had this moment where, Let's split up. It's almost it's almost night. We're we're twenty miles deep in the middle of desert, and uh, but yeah, it was cool because it was it kind of um, we were able to see cover both sides of the loop and see mm-hmm. each other's. But yes, so when John split off, I rode up to the top of this cliff and I watched him disappear like a little ant into the <laughs> desert, going back away the other way. So it was really cool. He had no idea I was watching him. I honked the horn a little bit, but obviously he was too yeah. far away. So he disappeared. Then I headed up this basically rocky sandy cliff face that were mimicking the ultra jacked up jeep trails not mm-hmm. the regular jeep ones but you have to have a way lifted yeah. huge 35 inch tires to that they go the up jeep at like one stuff. mile an hour yeah. Yeah, they probably winch their way up so i got into some of that and then i got into a point of no return jeep downhill which was quite interesting because you're out there solo middle of nowhere desert everyone's gone there's not really that many people out there and you don't know what's at the bottom so i basically was like let's let's roll the dice as we normally do and uh and got it in your vegas (laughs) no yeah 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 we'll be rolling the dice soon if we make it um and uh but it was incredible it was it was challenging it was very mentally challenging especially the valley of fire we went a couple other places a couple days later which we'll get into in a second but it was it was awesome highly recommend and you can have any skill level there you don't have to be some ultra right um extreme you just just pick your trail you can pick your line i was going to say largely what you do um at hollister i mean there's something for everybody but but it's 20 times bigger i have a question so how how well is it marked Mm, are you you just basically running off a map (laughs) yeah hopefully some gps does that download the gaia map which we i we forgot to do that day and i because for some reason i thought it would it would link up so we didn't we kind of went blind there there's a map right when you get in of the whole park yeah but then 
Because uh, that's sketchy. When you get in those sandy washes, you can misturn super easy. That's exactly what happened. You can just stay on a wash thinking yep. it's a trail. When it, yep. No, it's just some wash. Exactly. It's going to fuck you up. Oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, mm. And there were multiple little mini ranges. So not only was it just like sparse desert, you couldn't really see because there were these little mountain ranges that layered. So you yeah, didn't know yeah. what little range you were kind of yep. on and in between if you didn't keep your... so. Not only does the desert a little disoriented, but it were these little, these little kind of mountain sections that kind of threw you off yeah. additionally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly you made it back because you're you both it. sitting in front of us now. Um, how long were you um, there? That that was just one day. Yeah. Just one day. So you came in late. You stayed at your casino. Had the buffet. <laughs> Went straight to the buffet. Straight to the buffet. <laughs> yep. um, got a day's in of riding, and then what? Next day, Gold Butte. Gold Butte. And this was this was also a very incredible day. It was a sixty mile loop in between Valley of the Fire and Mesquite, a little closer to to Mesquite. And this was kind of a little bit more overlanding adventure, um, motorcycle adventure. We had a really great day that day. Yeah, it was super fun. Probably like totally different scenic. We saw for the first time ever. You guys ready for this? Wild donkeys. Yep. Wow. <gasps> All over. I had yeah. never seen wild oh, yeah. donkeys. Just, I hear this. I thought it was a bull at first. I was like, because you see where it's open range cowboy wild cow stuff, but I had never seen wild donkeys before. So I heard this noise. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it almost sounded Are you sure that wasn't John? It sounds like that. It sounded like a dying bull, though. I didn't think donkey didn't go into my brain. Right. I was like, that's a bull. And so I start looking around, and then there's this like, inquisitive donkey way up on the cliffside, yeah. like staring at us. And so that was that was cool. Right by this cave. So um, you, you're being stared down by a donkey. Stared down by a donkey. Did he bring his hey, friends? There were his friends were there. His friends all were kind of yeah. yeah. Was, hey Craig, be careful when you say bull. John, uh, Jim still has PTSD from the herd of cows. Oh my Shitting. god, yeah, I, yeah. I got, I got cow stories for days, man. I'll tell you what, they're big. They're big. Well, they're, they're kind of big targets when you hit. What well, don't mess around with donkeys and burros either. They're they will fuck you up too, man. Well, I've heard yeah. they're kind Especially of wild mean. ones. I I've heard that they can be quite oh, yeah. mean. You know. Yeah, well, I ain't trying to get close to him. Yeah, yeah well, it's probably smart. <laughs> well, I busted out the monocle because uh, I was carrying that, and he was just staring at us like a slightly menacing, slightly inquisitive, but just not taking his eyes off of us. And we ju- just stared back, and it was, he, it was fun. He was judging your he riding judging, technique. He was judging. Yeah. The, the other two were circling behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, so that was just, uh, how long did you say the loop? 80-mile loop? Uh, it was 80. We had to. We took the Tacoma on 20 of it. So we did 60 on the on the dirt bikes, and then we got, um, so all was well that day. Right. We had another <laughs> moment that day. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Not really that challenging. We we did a little couple hits. This was more just like the scenic ride, kind of just gorgeous. And we kept climbing in elevation. So it was climb, climb, but slowly. So we slowly went up into these kind of alpine areas that were, it got out of the desert a little bit, but it was still kind of high deserty. And then we got to the section that went to Lake Mead. Right. Yeah, and okay. we're like, all right, let's go to Lake Mead. So we got off the loop and that's when it got crazy fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. John's just mobbing down this sandy wash, and I'm just going straight through the desert up about 60 feet, going right with them. We're crossing paths. I'm just mobbing over these sandy kind of 
not really mounds, just kind of like like a like a butte, tapu- like uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like mini tapuies, like mini kind of sand buttes. But I can see him; he's in my peripheral the whole time. So it was really fun. It was almost like um, we were in a VR kind of video game where we were just going all off through the desert. Yes, Liza, question. I have a quick side question. Bagel, are yeah. you going to the dark side? Dark side. We're looking at the car tire behind you, darling. <laughs> no, those are for the van. Oh, okay. Just wanted to check. <laughs> that, I got was, that was random. <laughs> that, that'd be awfully big on a scooter. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so, so Craig, yes. how many like how many days could you have spent out there at different spots? Just oh, between we... between you know us and and Vegas. Oh, we could have stayed way longer. I mean, you can stay as long as you want till you're way sick of the desert. Personally, I I would have liked to ride seven. Yeah, I'd say because you could go up to St. George also, which that was one place where we that would have been our fourth day, but it was snowing. Yeah, in in Utah, and um, that place looks like a whole different scenario up there. But we had a crazy moment coming back from Lake Mead. Yeah, so that was that. That was our. Oh, tell us, do so. Uh, again, we decided to, in our brilliance, decided to split up. Accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Was this it accidentally? Was, yeah, yeah, because I took the wrong turn this time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you were behind me. and I, I was behind him following, yeah. and then I'm just, next thing I know, I'm on, I got a couple, too few buttes over, and then I get caught in this canyon. Once I realized it, it was 15 miles that we've been going, <laughs> so I had this moment, do I turn around? Right. Or I, John's just two canyons <laughs> over, and I know he's probably keeps, keeps going, so then... Um, I'm basically, we're heading towards this ghost town, and um, I just keep going. I get all the way to the ghost town. It was probably like, uh, yeah, 12, 15 miles later. Meanwhile, he stops. He thinks I'm behind him. I stop at a crossroads. (laughs) He stopped at a crossroads. So this whole time, he thinks I'm behind him. I know he's behind me, but I don't want to head back thinking because he might go back to look for me. Which is exactly what I did. Yeah, so I just post (laughs) up at the ghost town, okay? Meanwhile, I got this brand new amazing Garmin Mini 2. Can't wait to use it. I've been waiting months to to use it. And um, so I send him this. uh, Oh, we're both sending each other messages. We're both sending each other messages. That didn't get there. Beautiful clear sky. Starlink system fails us. We're we're not able to use the GPS, even though we're allegedly, (laughs) there's no clouds. So what do I do? Do I head back for him? Do I stay put? Do I... I went all the way back to Lake Mead. So right. I did another 24 miles. He goes all the way back. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. I'm like... Because I'm like, Craig, remember- Craig's laying in some ditch somewhere. I got to go back and help <laughs> yeah, this guy. Yeah, he thinks I'm behind him. Way <laughs> flipped off a... So I remember somewhere deep in my psyche, somewhere, maybe Boy Scouts, if you get lost and you get somewhere, just stay there. So I, that, that kind of came up, whether that was right or wrong or not. It ended up being the right call because he went all the way back, didn't find me. So then he started headed to the ghost town. This is meanwhile, like an hour and a half. I'm kind of just posted up waiting. Meanwhile, it's getting dark again. It's getting dark. <laughs> Twilight's approaching. Jesus. Meanwhile, so I'm sitting there waiting at the ghost town. Out of nowhere comes this full. We're, me, keep in mind, we're sixty miles from nowhere. Meanwhile, this cowboy in yeah. full chaps comes riding out of the desert <laughs> like a western movie. Awesome. I could not have written a script yeah. better. I'm sitting at the well, ghost well, town. The cowboy is chasing I've, I've, these cows. I've got a question: Were they were they assless chaps? <laughs> 
just for you, he was wearing a. He had the jeans cut out. Okay, very um, good. Yeah. And I, with I, little I, smiley faces on his. Butt I right. literally could not believe it. I, I had to. I didn't even register it at first. I couldn't. I, I think I thought it was. I was literally imagining it at least for two seconds. So. And, well, the most iconic Western scene. But ever, here's huh? the thing, and I mean, we think here we are in the 21st century. We think cowboying's gone the way of the dodo, and it hasn't. Cowboying is a thing. Now, my best friend Mike Beck, who you all know, um, yeah, he's a musician, songwriter, but he's also a cowboy, and he has earned his living doing that recently. And it's just as wild as you think. And the life these guys lead is incredible. It is like something out of a Wild West movie. It's it's a real thing. He so he came out of nowhere. So he was probably heading. Towards Lake Mead, towards the middle, even more in the nowhere. Right. Yeah. And towards John. He's yeah. heading straight down across I passed the him desert. Coming back, yeah. Oh, and, so you uh, saw him. I saw him too, yeah. yeah. And then, so, um, long story short, we end up meeting up. I'm sure glad I saw... Uh, John goes, I'm sure glad to see you. I was like, that's that's ironic, because I'm sure <laughs> glad to see you. Because we thought yeah. each other might have been in a ditch. And when yeah. we find it, when we finally realized we both were ditchless, then uh, <laughs> all was well, and we Unditched. finished the loop, and... Um, it was just a little while longer, so that was day two. So, so uh, can you disperse camp in these places? Like, be, not yeah, you not can. all the yes. Okay, you can. Yes. There were we saw one uh, Tacoma crew, a couple right. of overlanding Tacomas. Okay, um, cool. But that ride from where we met back to the camp, which was what thirty miles. The oh yeah, we just hauled ass. We're that, like, let's get that. That was fun. I, I thought that was really fun because it was the sun was setting. We knew where we were, so I was mm-hmm. relaxed. And we're just like mobbing down this road at what, 50 miles an hour. That was the highest speeds we had of the whole trip. It was trip, super I think. fun. That was fun. Yeah, so we it got does th- help when you know where you're going. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So we ended that, hit the casino, and uh, I think we, we got skipped the out. buffet yeah, that we, night. And then uh, the next day we were going to St. George, and then we hit up the... Uh, we went shopping. Yeah. We went shopping. What? Rocky Mountain ATV. Rocky oh, Mountain fun. ATV. Cool. Yeah, but it was cool. shop. Yeah. Um, it was, was this like, in Utah? In St. George. Yeah. George. Okay. So we had the dirt bikes with us. We're like, it's snowing, but let's go ride. And then it just kept snowing harder and harder. And I looked at John. I was like, you want to ride? He's like, nah. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> I really wanted to ride, but uh, St. George. But yeah, we got some really good stuff. We got some. I finally got some nice knee pads, like uh, like like burly ones instead of my little flimsy basketball knee pads that I've been wearing for um, ever. And uh, and then the next day we headed back to Vegas to meet the rest of the misfits. But we right. stopped. Go ahead. I was going to say we. I vividly remember I was on the plane with Jim because Liza came in late. And I don't know what made us do. We looked out of the window right around Lake Mead. And Jim said, Craig and John are right down there. It wasn't Lake Mead, actually. It was um, the trajectory we were on between San Jose and Vegas took us over the Sierras. And I'm like, we've got to be somewhere near Mount uh, Whitney. Yes. Right? Tallest peak in the U.S. And... Lo and behold, I'm like, it has to be right here. And then I saw what looked like 395, the highway. But it was when we were, uh, Matt and I, breaking away, Matt, 
were riding dirt bikes in Lone Pine. Oh, uh, there you go. So yeah, we flew right over the northern part of Death Valley in Lone Pine and Alabama. But that, yeah. So anyway, so Similar. then you met us in Vegas. Well, no, um, we had one more. Oh, it, you had one more adventure. We had one you more. You packed it, it in. We packed it in deep. Yeah. So after getting rained out, we we left and uh, we went to Nellis Dunes. Yeah. Ooh. So it's right by Nellis Air Force Base. So. You know, you see F-35s and all these other planes, helicopters all taken off right in the... And then you also had a view of the Las Vegas skyline. In the distance. The it, looked, so cool. it looked like this. Yeah. Oh, so inviting, but also also foreboding at the same right. time. Yeah. It was like this Vegas view in the distance. Mm. That was... It sounds that very was cool. Mad Max. And the dunes were incredible. So much fun. I realized that's my new purest addiction is riding in sand. Uh, it is like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I don't. It's going to take some, Liza. It's going to take some sort of motorcycle miracle to get me out of the sand for a long time. Well, no, it hang is, on. Are you going to pull the back tire off your husky and put a paddle <laughs> I on? Want it? I want to. Yeah, I probably need to. You know, my first um, job in the motorcycle industry when I came over here back in the uh, mid nineties, I worked for San Luis Obispo Motorsports, and it was very, very close to Pismo Beach. Oh boy. And so Friday, get all these clowns bringing their CR500s and be like, hey, man, can you put a paddle on the back? <laughs> yeah. So I do about 10 paddles on comes the back. With, comes with a free backboard. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah, exactly. So we put about 10 paddles on the back of these things. And then on Tuesday morning, when the shop opened again, hey, man, can you put my knobby back? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and that exactly. was it, because yeah. they'd all be riding in the uh, in the mountains during the week. Yeah. But, yeah, the weekend, it was all about the paddles. I get it, though. Like Craig's saying, when you, when you get the flow going in the dunes, it's, it's really an addictive feeling. Especially in Johnson Valley, where we went. I mean, you guys have all heard about Johnson Valley out there, but... Um, which we're hoping to get back soon. But yeah, Nellis Dunes was incredible. It was like these dune hill climbs. Not 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 nothing not like Jawbone Canyon or like the massive dunes, but it was just kind of like big enough where you could go play. You didn't have to carry the backpack. I, we took the saddlebags off, or I did. I didn't, you yeah, didn't no. have to bring so much water because you kind of just base camped and kind of, you know, the other days we had like a whole day's worth of... right. Um, so this was this was cool because we were could kind of get a little water. It was it was windy as shit, it was and really it was yeah. um, a little cool out there. It was probably like yeah, 45, 35 yeah, 45. in the morning. Got up to like forty five. Oh, li- oh, hang on, Liza's got a question. Douglas, I'm just wondering if this is making you want to take quiet. Uh, what do you call it? White riot? White quiet? What? White, white riot. White riot. White white night. Whatever. <laughs> If you want to take the new bike out in the desert, is this making you like, oh, I want to hit that? Yeah, I was just thinking that, but I hate driving there, though. <laughs> uh, so it's only close. Well, White Riot would schmucks. love the love the desert. But yeah, it's a haul to get to the desert. I just don't like, I don't like I don't like slabbing it in the truck. Just, you know, I just, I'm just not that kind of person. And, you know, I, yeah. I can vouch for that because I, I actually offered Doug because, you know, fingers crossed I'll be exhibiting at least one bike at the one show. And I said to Doug, hey, man, do you want to share the driving with me? And he's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know what sounds awesome about those dunes, though? Like, if we were to find back there, is doing it at sunset. Oh, so yeah. ripping so it at awesome. sunset when the sun's going down, oh, yeah. you got all that dust in the air, but then being able to see the Las Vegas Strip in the background. Oh, that'd be oh, that, that was that, that was, was the one bitching. thing we talked about. Yeah. Even um, at night, even just bust out the headlights and ride in the dunes at night because you can just go slow and have a blast. Like, it's not 
you can see everyone. There was no one there. There were a couple of little guided. Yeah. They were like right. doing some guided ATVs, and they were all like looking at us, like, "Damn, I want to be like on one of those." They had like some like so fast fifty, right. yeah, <laughs> fifty. Was like, there was one guy that looked like he was like struggling so hard to even just like go <laughs> go straight. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Was, <laughs> he uh, probably had never been on a motorized right anything. In his life. So thing- there were a couple of those, and then like some other random. Just a very few though. We hit it on a really good day. Go ahead, um, fast riding. Emma, two th- so two things. First of all, Emma, you've tilted your mic down. You're talking into the top, but that is a side mic. Oh, so yeah, should- it is, isn't it? Yeah. It'll That's why I'm popping. Whoa. The- yeah. So, well, he'll get that adjusted. Number two, so uh, Craig and John, the bikes that you took out there, what do those two bikes have in common? Knobbies. Wheels to go round and round. Chains. What what kind of engine does that have? Thumpers. Thumpers. <gasps> Thumpers. What what and what what is White Riot? Thumper. Thumper. Oh. What's, what's your KLR? It's a thumper too. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, you're six ninety, right? So that twin. Thumpers. We love thumpers. Yes, we do. So Liza is pushing us into the next seg into the segway. So here's how Liza and me interact at Motortown. So I'll be <laughs> working on a, I'll be working on a bike in the back of the shop and I'll hear this Oi and it's Liza sitting in her car outside the front door, and she absolutely refuses to get out of the car. You mean she didn't blow the horn? That's usually the... Yeah, no. It's, no, I, it's just, I just lay in bait until she notices me. Yeah, and, you know, if I don't move quick enough, it's an oi. So um, Liza called me by surprise this week, because Tuesday is normally the day that um, Marina gets its nuts and bolts restocked. And it was Wednesday. And Liza said... I want you to do a history hold. And I said, really? And I said, well, what would you like me to do a history hold on? She said, on thumpers. And I said, well, that's quite an interesting subject. And it covers quite a broad spectrum. Um, And she said, yeah, no, we we can do it on thumpers. And then she said, well, what do you think is the biggest selling thumper of all time? And I said, oh, I don't know, probably the KLR 615. She said, no, the, the, uh, the Honda Passport. And I'm not entirely sure whether it is, because what we need to do before we even talk about thumpers, we need to actually establish what a thumper is. So I think we're all going to agree it is a single cylinder bike. Do we all agree Mm -hmm. on that? Yes. Now, do we all agree that it's a four-stroke bike, or should we include two strokes like the CR500? That's a good question. Uh I not commonly referred strokes. to as thumpers. Uh, so let's exclude the two strokes, and I think that's a good okay. call, Doug. And I like to think, by its definition, th- it needs to have some displacement to it. Yeah. So are we going to call anything <clears throat> under 250 a thumper? No. Well, we have thumpers and big thumpers, right? Well, no, hang on. No, right, we're just talking thumpers. What about you, on. Bagel? Because you're used every, to a, a slightly smaller mm-hmm. capacity. Every bike I own is a thumper. There you go. And and you get the the thumper qualities in scooters just as you do on motorcycles. But do you think there should be a minimum CC requirement to refer to something as a thumper? No, I don't think so. So any I, one I'm, cylinder? I'm also... 
I'm not entirely I, sure. I, I I'm not so convinced I'm, by I'm that. I'm even so dubious about including two strokes, t- but typically but along with it, with smaller displacement, it's the, you don't get much other than thumpers. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's, yeah. it's just known that they're and it's still it's still a thump right. because you know, you it's don't a white cylinder. Right. You just can don't need to say can it we just they're all thumpers? Can we just agree that any single cylinder is a thumper? But what we can argue is what defines a big thumper. What's the cutoff? Is the DRZ 400 a big thumper? That's right on the cusp. That's, a, by that's about yeah. Mm. I'd say that's fair. I yeah. d- you know I think that's right around the cusp. So if, if I, we I decide. That if we take like 350 and 400 as the kind of cutoff between a, a little thumper and a big thumper, I think that's quite reasonable. So, um, no, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the history of them because it is quite interesting. Well, uh, I know you're getting into it, but I just want to ask the question. What is the largest displacement big thumper in mass production? Well, in mass production, the, I would suggest it was probably the Suzuki DR Big, which got up to 800 cc. That was the largest mass production single cylinder bike. Now there have been specials that have been built, and there are lunatics, usually in the Antipodean Islands, who <laughs> will um, build a 2,000 cc single cylinder bike and be like, "Ha! I can do better than that." Now I'm going to build a 3,000 cc single cylinder bike. Sounds psychotic. Um, and, Sounds like I a mean, locomotive. Yeah, these are these are these are ramblings from the sick bed. We're we're talking about production production bikes, and uh, I I do stand to be corrected, but I'm pretty sure that Suzuki got it with the DR Big Range. Have you ever ridden one of those? Oh yeah, they're lovely bikes. What are they like? It's a DRZ 800. Yes. No, wow. it's a, DR. no, it's a DR. Uh, it's like it a, is a DR eight hundred, like a six fifty plus one hundred and fifty. Yes, I've <laughs> never even seen one. I don't think. Oh yeah, you should look it up on your phone. A mm-hmm. Suzuki yeah, DR big. That's what it's actually so, called. So here in the states, so a a six fifty thumper is considered a big thumper and is really the biggest that well, we uh, get. Here, and it right? is, it is a, it is quite a big <clears throat> bike. Um, so what's that feel like an eight hundred? Because even if you look at something like a twelve hundred Sportster, that's only six hundred in each side, right? Right. So you're talking about eight hundred single. Is this wow? Thing just, this thing cool looks looking. amazing. Yeah, yeah. cool. nineteen ninety one to ninety seven. Not too long of a year run. Yeah, These no, it was rare. quite. A, it's a, it's a rare bike. It sold very very well in Spain and very very well in France. You see, a lot of these bikes were riding on the heels oh. of the Paris Dakar Rally. And was styled accordingly. Um, and Honda, of course, had the Africa Twin, but it was a twin. But remember, it's in the name. Honda wanted to make sure that everybody knew this was a twin in the field of singles by calling it an Africa Twin. Now, Yamaha did the same. Everyone knows the Super Tenere. That's the twin. But the Tenere was a single. Okay. Um, which got up to, I think, 660 was the biggest, the XT660. Um, but if we go back to the very, very beginnings of motorcycling, um, there's a picture floating around of me s- sitting astride. Actually, I wasn't allowed to sit on it, but I was standing by it. The earliest motorcycle, the Daimler, which was basically made out of wood. Mm. Um 
because they were unsure how strong metal was going to be, which dated to 1880. <laughs> because, I, you know, metallurgy. Yes, because <laughs> metallurgy. And they, they, I think they made a good decision. But I'm pretty sure that was 1883. And, of course, that was a single-cylinder bike because it is the simplest form of combustion. Basically, mm-hmm. the way an engine works is you have um, a piston going up and down, which is reciprocating movement, and then it's transferred to via a mechanism, usually the conrod, to a crankshaft, which turns reciprocating movement into rotational movement, which is something we can use. Because guess what? Wheels go round, right? So you want right. to turn up and down movement into roundy-round movement. Um and that's how engines were born. That's how steam engines work. And just as the very, very earliest form of steam engines were single cylinders, um, like Stevenson's rocket, which was very, very early steam engine, it had two big single cylinder pistons, one either side of the platform where you drove the thing, and it was, drove the front wheel, poof, poof, poof. And then you get via years and years and decades of development into the very, very sophisticated compound steam engines of the 1930s and 40s, which had multiple cylinders on either side. So and you can draw a parallel with the internal combustion engine. The simplest form was always single-cylinder engines, and yes, a lot of them became big thumpers. Um, but as they became more sophisticated, they grew cylinders but the singles remained for a number of reasons. So anybody like to take a stab at why single cylinders remained popular? Cost effective to p- produce. That's one. Simple. Well, to that's two. All the things. And I wanted to They're comment reliable. on Porky. the all characteristics of a, of a single versus a twin or a four. Easier to the, cool. It's just, it's got that low-end torque, and I think that's why it's so common on the dirt bikes. Right. It will get you through the shit, you know? Now, would you suggest as well, particularly on dirt bikes, what about the physical characteristics of the engine? Narrowness. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Lightweight. Yep. All these True. things make it a very, very desirable engine for competition use. And... It's funny that we always think of single-cylinder bikes as being slightly lower in performance than multi-cylinder bikes, and I'll come to why that is in a minute. But in the mid-1950s, Britain was making some incredibly sophisticated single-cylinder bikes with a great amount of incredible design work going on inside that were taking on the multi-cylinder bikes of Italy, head-to-head. Would that be the Norton Manx? Norton Manx um, and the AJS, the 7Rs, were taking on the Galeras and the MV Augusta four-cylinders in the mid-50s and spanking them because they simply had more power and more characteristics. So single-cylinder doesn't necessarily mean less power. It It can take a little bit longer to get there. So what we've got to do is we've already established that to call something a thumper, it's it's a four-stroke. I think we can both all agree on that. So if we think about the way an engine works, suck, squeeze, bang, blow. Suck, intake. 
So intake, the piston is moving down. The gases are being drawn in via the intake valve into the combustion chamber. Squeeze the compression stroke. The stuff that's in the combustion chamber, now the valves are closed and the piston is coming back up and compressing the amount into a very, very combustible compressed gas. You know, funnily enough, yes. suck, squeeze, bang, blow is what Jim calls date night. Yes, it is. <laughs> I can attest to that. At the rodeo. <laughs> With the emphasis on squeeze, no doubt. Oh, that's um, good, that's and good. then we get the bang part, which is the ignition. That's the fun part for everyone. And mm. all this, igni- this combustible gas is ignited, and the pistons push down, and then blow the exhaust stroke piston comes back up and pushes all that junk out the exhaust valve now what's of you should note of all those power is only made on one of the four strokes which is bang the ignition stroke the ignition stroke is when the piston is forced down so in order to get from power stroke to power stroke the engine has to move through one 360 plus 180 degrees. It's got to go back up and a full rotation before it gets back to that power stroke. You get it? Yeah. So that's 540 degrees between power strokes on a four-stroke <coughs> engine. And that is a lot of dead turning. Now, traditionally, two-stroke engines were considered higher horsepower because two-stroke engines make power every turn of the crankshaft. So in order to get back to the power stroke, they've only got to turn 180 degrees, which is why they sound different. Instead of going thump, thump, they go bang, 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 bang. So they're more of a vibrator than a thumper, you're saying? Basically, yes. <laughs> they'll uh, they'll shake your fillings out. Um, <laughs> but in certain respects, four-stroke single-cylinder engines, what we call thumpers, produce a great amount of power. And the characteristics they give, because they tend to have larger flywheels and they gain momentum as they're working, you get this lovely low-down torque. And they tend to have very, very good characteristics for riding in the dirt. Um, There are disadvantages with them. They tend to be a little bit taller. Now, if you consider the CC, the, the, the capacity of an engine, let's take a 500cc engine. If it's a multi-cylinder engine... The the bores, because there are four of them, they tend to be a little bit smaller. But the stroke, which is the amount of movement the pistons do when they're going up and down, also can be shorter because there's four of them. On a single-cylinder bike, the jug itself is bigger. It's bigger in diameter, and the distance the piston has to move is greater. So the engine itself is taller. Why would that be a disadvantage? Short legs... Well, there's. I'm talking about disadvantage in the engine. So, the yeah, it gr- takes longer to, to complete come the all cycle. the way back. Yes, right. 
but I'm talking about oil distribution. Oh. So yeah. here's something. We'll go off on one of Emma's tangents. Do you know the greediest um, part of your anatomy in terms of blood required? Brain. No. I'll give you a clue. You've got two of them. Lungs. Lungs. No. Keep trying. Nuts. No, I got three. <laughs> I will put you, all put you out of your mind. Eyeballs. Eyeballs. Really? Eyes are the most vascular part of your anatomy. They take an enormous amount of blood to run. Now, in a four-stroke engine, especially with a roller-bearing crank, as a lot of them do, what do you think the greediest part of that engine is in terms of oil required to keep it moving? Cams. There you go. Yeah. Right first time. So, where does the cam live? High up. Up top. Now then. Unless you have a push-right engine. Right? Overhead. Right. Well, most engines we have now are overhead cam. Now then, what pushes the oil around the engine? We know in your body, it's your heart, of course. But what pushes the oil around in an engine? Oil pump. There oil you pump. go. Where does the oil pump normally live in an engine? In the crankcase. Which the is at the bottom. So basically, what we've got is we've got an oil pump that lives at the bottom of the engine. We've got... A camshaft that lives completely at the opposite end of the engine. It's almost got a zif different zip code. And a tall engine. So it requires a great deal of effort to get the oil from the bottom to the top. Now, we could use a thicker oil. And a thicker oil would give higher oil pressure and would give more viscosity to keep the camshaft clean, but there's a problem. It's hard to push it, when it's cold, right? Exactly. 90% of wear on your engine happens with a cold start when the oil hasn't had a chance to get out of bed. So a lot of four-stroke engines rely on the chamber at the top where the camshaft lives to retain oil so that in that vital startup, at least the cam's turning in oil. The problem is, in a four-cylinder engine, that's quite a big gallery. In a single cylinder, it's a very, very small gallery. The camshaft is just as greedy. It wants just as much oil. But the gallery where the oil from last night's being held is a lot smaller. So we tend to have oiling problems. Um, by the nature of the size of the piston. Now, remember, a piston goes down the bore stops dead moves back up the bore stops dead back down the bore and so on and so forth to give you an idea of the speed this thing is moving at five six thousand rpm it's breaking the speed of sound as it moves huh. down and breaking the speed of sound moving back up this thing is hauling ass and because it's a single cylinder it's quite a big amount of inertia. It's quite a big amount of weight. I was grumbling about GB500s last week, <laughs> which is my favorite subject to gr grumble about. Um, they are very, very hard on their wrist pins. And before I throw Gore Blimey 500s under the bus, most single-cylinder bikes are. 
simply because of the inertia of throwing this large bucket-sized piston backwards and forwards, something's got to give. And usually it's the wrist pin that takes the hardest hardest knock. They're very, very hard on big end bearings as well, but usually they've got quite big cages down there to compensate. So there are disadvantages with thumpers. <coughs> Oil distribution is one of the major ones. Funnily enough, keeping them cool is another one. Why is there not, back to the oil, why is there not some way to prime the top end? Um, I mean, I'm trying to think how that would look. <laughs> because if you wanted to pre-prime the top end, you'd need an electric fuel pump. And that's nothing new in the, in the engine yeah. world. Because most helicopters have got electric fuel pumps, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but you'd have to get away from mechanical fuel pumps. And the trouble well, is with mechanical you, you fuel oil pumps. pumps, right? Uh, yeah, I beg your pardon. There's, you'd have yeah. to get away from mechanical oil pumps. And the trouble is with mechanical oil pumps, it's such a delicious design triumph. Because when the engine's going quicker <coughs> and you need more oil, the oil pump's turning quicker with it which is supplying more oil. So it's and kind of oil on demand. It's such a lovely design. It would be hard to improve on it. And, and the great thing, too, about mechanical oil pumps is that it is mechanical. It's always, as long as it retains its integrity, it's always going to work. With an electric pump, if your electrical circuit goes out, you have no oil flow, and that will destroy your engine. Right. So, so that's a liability, too. Yeah, um, engines have gotten better over the years. You know, English bikes and single-cylinder bikes suffered a lot from this back in the day of what was called wet sumping. And what wet sumping was, it was a peculiarity of bikes that had oil tanks. Now, English bikes back in the day, they didn't carry their oil in the bottom of the engine as European and Japanese bikes do. They carried it in a tank on the side. Um, and there are a lot of advantages with having a tank on the side. The oil level's not quite so critical because there's always a good supply of oil. But the problem is gravity takes its course. And if you were to leave your bike over a period of a three, few days, the oil that's contained within the oil bag, because the oil bag or the oil tank sits a lot higher than the engine, it would go down the oil lines and go via the fuel, uh, via the oil pump, and end up filling the bottom of the engine. So you start it up, and the bottom of the end engine is full of oil. And of course, it's like, oh crap, it's got nowhere to go, and so it seeps out all the joints. Part of the reason British bikes got a reputation for being oil leakers is not necessarily because gasket technology was poor, even though it was, but a lot of times it was that first startup when all the oil from the tank had migrated into the engine and you jump on the bike, start it up. And if you knew it was doing it, you just leave the bike for a minute. And that's all it would do. It would take a minute and all the oil would circulate back to where it should be and off you'd go. Not everybody had a minute. You were late for work. You know, you had somewhere to go. You were on a hot date. You jumped on the bike and the oil had nowhere to go but out through the joints. Um, and single-cylinder bikes did tend to suffer from that a little more than the multi-cylinder ones, not least because the crankcases themselves were a lot smaller. Um, so the advantage for competition, the advantage for weight, the advantage for size became a huge disadvantage when it came to wet sumping. Now, with early 
Thumper's total loss systems? Some were. But, I mean, by the 1930s, in fact, by the 1920s, most total loss systems had gone the way of the Dodo. Um, However, I mean, you can buy a brand-new bike with a total loss oil system today. And quite a sophisticated one as well. I know you'd like one, Craig. Yeah. (laughs) KTM. Oh, they have total loss systems. The two, two strokes? Two strokes mm. do. The yeah. two stroke is in effect a total loss system. There's no recirculating yeah. oil on the two stroke. True. It lubricates the engine. Some of it gets combusted in the combustion chamber. Quite a lot of it gets thrown out of the exhaust pipe. And <laughs> the reason why two strokes tend to smoke a lot more when they're cold is part of the design, the clever design of two strokes, you get a secondary burn in the exhaust pipe just for the oil. So your your exhaust pipe, while that is cold, there's a lot of oil sloshing around in there. So I knew about the gas oil mixture, but there's no separate oil. Uh, there's oil in the bottom end, though, right? Yeah, there's transmission oil. Yeah, yeah there's transmission so oil in the, the to lubricate oil, yeah. the gears. Sure. Is it lubricating the crank too? Then right? No, uh, no, no. no. That's all cr- from no. the gas. That, the, that the is crank, the two-stroke oil. Yep. Uh, the main bearings, or at least maybe one of the main bearings. Usually, the main bearing behind the generator is lubricated by total loss two-stroke. The big end bearing. Maybe the right-hand bearing behind the primary gears, sometimes that's lubricated by two-stroke oil, sometimes that's lubricated by the transmission oil. <clears throat> the small yep. end, the piston, the rings, that's all lubricated by total loss from the two-stroke. So that's the legacy of the total loss systems from the 1920s. And the four-strokes worked in exactly the same way back then. Oil retention and oil technology was not the same as we have now. You have no idea how sophisticated piston rings are now compared to how they used to be. Back in the old days, we would build an engine and it would smoke like crazy for a thousand miles because that's how long it took to break the piston rings in. And we used kind of all kinds of things to make these things break in better. Um, the best stuff I ever had was this, it's almost like a charcoal. And you'd assemble the cylinder completely dry and then spread this charcoal around. And it was lime green colored. And you know, if it stayed lime green, it was comp- it was as you wanted. If it turned black, it wasn't clean enough. You had to clean it. And it really helped break in the piston rings. But just by smearing oil around the bore and slapping it together, you'd have a smoky engine for at least a thousand miles. And customers, oh, my engine's smoking. Just please give it time, give it time, give time for the rings to break in. And eventually they did. And, you know, the engine would be great. Um, but that's how it was back it back in the day. Now piston ring design is a lot better. Piston ring material is a lot better. Cylinder material is a lot better. Um, so we don't have to, to go through that unless you build vintage engine, English engines like I do. <laughs> So, tra-la-la. Um, so, yeah, so thumpers, they're a wonderful thing. Um, and, I mean, the reason I like them, they go back to the very, very beginnings of motorcycling. Yes, Liza? I wanted to add about the big, big, big thumpers. The, there was there was a thumper war. Oh, well, yes. 
Lunatics. So, lunatics, lunatics, I tell you. Yeah. So in 1998, uh, this bike builder built a thousand cc thumper, and then just after that, somebody came up with a 1440 cc steampunk uh, motorcycle, <laughs> and then right after that, the, oh, then the first guy came back with the NSU Bison 2000 cc single cylinder motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, started out with a 500 cc tossed the original cylinder and used a radial airplane engine cylinder on there oh my god <laughs> oh my god uh, yeah uh yeah i know crazy right uh Mm-mm. so and it only had a kickstart <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> but but so this article came out you can see this in knee slider and then right after the article came out then another bike was announced and this is a 3000 cc. Oh my god. Yeah. Insane. And it says, it says it's got BMW suspension bits, some Volkswagen and Porsche parts, plus contributions from a tractor as well. And it has a horse saddle for a seat and it basically the engine looks like a Holy fire hydrant. Hell. The cylinder looks like a <laughs> fire hydrant. Oh, I bet. oh my god. That's like a steampunk looking nightmare. Of. Does yeah. it make coffee? Looks like it makes, it makes <laughs> it an espresso. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, three thousand and thirty-four cc. Oh, wow. HD three thousand. <laughs> I mean, is it a ship cylinder or something? We weren't. Well, did we no, get that a ship from? would be a lot bigger than that. And I was got well, all of these are the true biggest thumpers, and they've mostly gone the way of the dodo. Is that a picture <laughs> of it? Oh my god! Can, can you imagine really how that badass. would ride? Now, I think how this is ride, when bike builders take something to the extreme, where you make it an unrideable bike you know Are i you think sure? they have found the fringe yeah what would that i can't be even imagine it's got a, it's got a sidecar <laughs> yeah i can't even imagine what that's like i mean even just that the, the, the dr 800 sounds like that what? would be interesting and how does that work with the tailpipe it's so small that's gonna be a lot of <laughs> exhaust coming out of it i think i don't know but my, hey bagel my oh, suspicion ahead, that this is quite low revving although what i find interesting from a technical standpoint it's an overhead cam with exposed valve springs but they're not ordinary valve springs they're mousetrap valve springs and it's got a bevel drive which is absolutely superb um bevel drives are the stuff that dreams are made out of um <laughs> Explain what a bevel, yeah. bevel drive is. So a bevel drive is, if you have an overhead camshaft, so you've got the crank turning at the bottom and you've got the camshaft turning at the top and you've got various means that are open to you to drive the two. Um, the most popular, of course, is a chain. And um, it's a, a chain is by far the most efficient way of driving a camshaft the big problem is keeping it tight and as anybody who's ridden an old honda will know that cam chain noise is a thing and it's loud and cam chain tensioners have come a long way in a few years but i vividly remember when the first um honda hurricanes came out in the late 80s the camshaft tent they had automatic camshaft cam chain tensioners on them and they were modified virtually on a monthly basis to make the bloody things work because these things were rattling when you pulled them out of the the crate and they didn't get any better and so they just came up with like you know better and better and better cam chain tensioners so the other way of driving the camshaft is a belt 
Um, very popular with Ducatis. And if you ever buy a used Ducati, you need to ask the owner, when were the last time the belts were changed? Because if you break a belt, you're in big trouble. Now, cars, most cars with overhead cams do, in fact, have belts on. And they usually change about 60,000 miles. However, yes, Liza? I was going to say, John, the last time, if you ever <clears throat> changed the bit in the drill press, that is a bevel drive. So, yeah, um... So you can see, so we're looking at a picture of it now. So the third choice is a shaft running vertically up the side of the cylinder with a gear at the end and then a corresponding gear on the, the, the camshaft, which turns it through 90 degrees. Now, of course, there'll be a similar gear at the bottom on the crankshaft, hidden in the timing chest. Famously, the Kawasaki W650 which became the W800, had a bevel gear. Yeah. It's one of the few <laughs> Japanese bikes to do it. I cannot tell you how gorgeously engineered those bikes are. They're just absolute little gems. They really are. Yes, Liza? I have a question for Bagel. Um, I am under the assumption that all scooters are thumpers. Is that true? Well, again, it, dep it depends on how you define it because there are a lot of two-stroke scooters so if you're if you're saying that a two-stroke cannot be a thumper because it has a, a different uh, rhythm, I, I I can I can see that, and I could say yeah, that meant, there's a case to be made there. Um, in terms of which scooters under that definition are cons considered thumpers, I mean the Heinkel is it's a four-stroke, um, but there were not a lot of vintage four-stroke scooters. Um, I'm trying to think are, of another one. Are there scooters that are two-cylinder or three or four? There are some two-cylinder scooters. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so fact, a non-thumper. Yeah, there are a few. Not a lot. Um, there's, there's one vintage two-cylinder two scooter and several modern two-cylinder scooters, actually. Oh, there's more than one bagel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Would you like me to talk about them? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, um, let's talk about the vintage one first. Um, yeah. Because the, as, as far as, well, let me say, let me make, make it one with an asterisk. Uh, because the the one two-cylinder scooter that went into production and was for, uh, for sale to the public for many years was the Rumi Formichino uh, 125. Rumi, how do you spell the Rumi Fornicator? which means ant in Italian. Rumi Fornicator? What is R-U-M-I? Formichino. F-O-R-M-I-C-H-I-N-O. This is a 125cc scooter. It was a very unique Oh, that is cool looking. Yeah, it's very unique. It It has... It has a an exposed motor, which is a a, a a structural member of the bike, and it has cast aluminum front and rear body sections. Now, no, I'm going to stop you there, Bagel. Surely you mean yes. aluminium. Aluminium, yes. Thank bagel. You, <laughs> when one yes. purchased one of these new, did a ray gun come with it? <laughs> you totally. think, um, but that that would have probably <laughs> needed to be purchased separately back in those days. <laughs> I mean, this is straight but, out of Buck Rogers. Yeah, 
Please. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a really unique bike. It's it's a horizontal two-stroke wow. twin. It has wow. a four-speed transmission, um, and it has a uh, put out nine horsepower. <laughs> And it was made from 1954 to 1962. Okay, hold on. Wait. A two-stroke twin with nine horsepower? With nine horsepower. Hey, Emma, how much horsepower do you think my Amigo has? Oh, God, a lot more than nine. Probably double. <laughs> What's going on there, dude? <laughs> but but I will say that they're, they also produced a, a sport version. Oh, um, which when it was highly tuned for racing, uh, was capable of producing 93 miles per hour. Wow. Bagel, will you get one of these? I, I like I it. I would love to, but these are rare as hen's teeth. Um, <gasps> because basically when, when, when they stopped, they stopped producing these because the company folded in 1962. So the company has been out of existence for over 60 years. And you know they only made probably a couple thousand in the uh, the eight years they were in production. I would love to have one of these because they are from everything I've read. I've, I don't think I've ever seen one in person, but everything I've read, they are phenomenally amazing bikes. How do you spell it again? I'd love to have one. R u m i, and then f o r m i c h i n o. Fornicatera. Yeah, Rumi Fornicatera. <laughs> Yes, it, 1955. Well, or, wow, it, it might make you want to do that to it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. That's cool. I'm absolutely not going to get let you get away with just saying that was the only twin cylinder sp- scooter because you forgot oh, the no. Bri- you forgot the British ones. Oh, was there a British two cylinder scooter? The DMW Deemster, darling. Oh, now really? I look that up. DMW oh, I Deemster. Yes, the Deemster. Oh, Tell us about it. So the DMW Deemster. <laughs> oh, that's cool too. too. Yeah. Um, it was basically designed um, by... Uh, wait, this is almost a motorcycle. I like the police version. Well, it was designed for the police. <laughs> it was really designed, but oh. it, 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 it basically had a two-stroke twin. Very heavy, very slow. Um but nevertheless, a solid effort from the oh. lads at Wolverhampton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look yeah. at it. It's great, wow. isn't it, Bagel? It's kind of cool. Yes. It it's definitely a scooter. Wow, blocky. Oh, yeah. yeah no, it's it's definitely yeah. a scooter. Looks like it came out all in one piece of, all, all together. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, yeah, so yeah. Um, and yeah, a solid effort. Yeah. But but there are actually quite a few uh, modern two cylinder scooters. Um, and uh, have have you are you familiar with any of these? Are we talking about some of the big displacement ones? Uh, largely, yes. PC, like, yeah, PC the, the maxi scooters. <clears throat> yeah, there, there are a number of those that are that are two cylinders. For example, the Yamaha has their T Max. Um, This is a bike they've been producing since 2001 in various forms. Um, First, it was a 499cc, then they upgraded it to a 530, and then a 562. Um, It's a parallel twin that that now produces 47 horsepower. That's almost as much as the Amigo. (laughs) 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 And this is is a bike that you can buy today. Yeah, that Um, makes sense for the big big displacement scooters, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Honda's made a number of, of two-cylinder scooters as well. Um, first with the Silverwing 600, which uh, they produced from 2001. I think they're still producing today, aren't they? 
if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm not sure. That's your department, yeah. Nagel. Yeah, I, I think so. I I don't I, I haven't paid a lot of attention. To, <laughs> I'm not a big Maxi Scooter oh, yeah. fan myself, I so I haven't paid a lot of attention to them. But I think they're still in production, and those are those are uh, said to produce 50 horsepower. So um, you know, those have been very popular among the Maxi Scooter crowd. So on a on a um, basic search, Bagel, I found the Lambrettas coming out with a. 250 twin and a 333. Well, twin. let me get there. <laughs> Hang on. Just, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> let's talk. Let's finish, let's finish with Honda first. Um, they also have produced the XADV scooter that we've talked about before. This is the 745cc parallel twin um, that uh, they've been making since 2021, but not available in the US. Um, that's the big brother to the uh, Honda ADB 150, right? But unfortunately, we can't get that here. Um, there's also the Honda NC700D Integra, which is uh, one of the new mid-concept bikes that they came out with, uh, with the, you know, the other NC700 bikes. Right. Uh, and this was, that was their scooter version, which is a two-cylinder uh, parallel twin. There's also the Honda Forza 750, which uses that same engine as well. Um, and Honda also produced a, a bike called the SWT400, which was a 399cc parallel twin uh, with 39 horsepower from 2009 to 2011. Uh, but again, I don't think that one ever made it to our, our shores. All right, Bagel, but what yeah. is the largest production single-cylinder scooter? <clears throat> largest production single-cylinder <laughs> single scooter like by, by model? Yeah, I mean, 300, I mean is there I would, bigger I would than 300? Well, I, I mean, I would. Oh, oh, the the largest display displacement. Yeah, displacement. Yeah, uh, the largest displacement single cylinder scooter, I believe, would be a seven hundred. <gasps> I'm, I'm sorry, that's that's the Honda, the seven. Or I, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. Let me see here. Yeah, that was the 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 seven fifty that Honda made. Seven fifty single. Oh wait, no, no, no. I take that back. Okay. Piaggio has them topped. Piaggio. Uh, yeah. Piaggio came out with an 839cc twin, which they put in the. That's Achille a twin. Single. Yes. Oh, oh, single. It's the largest I'm, single. I'm get my, get my wires crossed here. <laughs> largest single scooter. I want to say probably 500cc. Okay, so it sounds like the scooters have remained practical in this situation, and only the motorcyclists have gone nuts. Well, I mean the well the thing is with a scooter. If you think about it, the characteristics that are advantageous for a single, narrowness, mm -hmm. lightweight, ease of maintenance, good low-down power delivery, are all characteristics that make it ideal for a scooter. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and other manufacturers have, have made, uh, you know, have, but have made, have made, uh, have made two cylinders as well. Like Suzuki made the Bergman. Uh, 650, I should say, not the 400. Um, Kimco's ha Kimco has had several uh, two-cylinder scooters. Uh, yeah, the I, 700. I guess that makes sense once you get into the larger displacement. Yeah. But it is. I just found it interesting that kind of we live in the motorcycle world. The thumpers are kind of more unique. Mm -hmm. But in your world, it's more the rule. It, yeah, that's kind of the opposite. You know, yeah. That, that single cylinders are the, are the, the norm, but... But multi-cylinders are sort of the oddballs. So my nice. question to you, Bagel, and I've been meaning to ask you this for a while, actually. 
Um, mm-hmm. In in scooter world, because you are deep in scooter culture, um, are Bergmans and Morpheuses highly regarded, or are they sort of like a subculture almost? I mean, if you show up at a, a scooter rally on, say, a Morpheus, are you going to get laughed out of the room? It depends on what type of scooter rally you're talking about, because... Uh- he, he wouldn't let me come to a rally with my Honda no, Elite. No, no, no. I, it's, that is not true, Liza. I never, <laughs> Elitism bagel? Yes, he is an elitist. I gave you fair warning. I just told you the lay of the land. <laughs> so, no, no. I mean. At a vintage scooter rally, they're not going to look. They're not going to look so much on an The vintage Honda scooter. Honda Elite. Because it's something that's never been part of that that culture because bagel admit yeah. it you guys are snobs you are scooter snobs <laughs> i don't don't blame me i'm just telling you the way that it is mm-hmm. i i i accept honda elites i think they're great bikes but well, except you saying, wouldn't ride it uh, when you were here last <laughs> i did yes begrudgingly <laughs> but okay go ahead well, that's only because they don't maintain it and it's not safe to ride i mean i will i will <laughs> and actually i changed the oil two years ago it's good to go bagel i i well. do i do actually concur that liza's bikes sometimes are fairly sparsingly maintained mm. but no so but no generally and it's a serious question um yeah you know the, the the Japanese scooters because you know Japan have been making scooters really since the oh, beginning yeah. of manufacture, but they mm-hmm. are kind of regarded. Oh wait, well no, hang on, wait a minute. What was the one, the Fuji? That Fuji every, Rabbit. The Fuji it's, Rabbit. It's if you showed up at a scooter rally oh, on a yeah. Fuji Rabbit, you'd get mobbed, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, people people love Fuji Rabbits. I mean, th- those those are considered classic scooters because th- that's a design from the fifties and sixties. Uh, likewise, the Honda Juno is also considered a classic scooter. Um, I mean, there's very few of them around, and I, I don't think I've ever seen one in person myself. Uh, but if one were to show up at a scooter rally, people would go nuts over it for sure. Now that we've it's, tripped it's, and fallen into the scooter hole, I am very curious. Did Lambretta, <laughs> did they go anywhere and now they're back or have they not <laughs> gone anywhere? Because I just looked at them and they're like the sexiest <laughs> well, machines that, I think that, I've ever seen. The sexiest scooters. like podcast. Oh, somebody got sell oh, the husky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to sell the husky for this Lambretta. My God. But let, and, and honestly, I'm not entirely sure what is being done with the Lambretta name at this very moment because it has taken so many twists and turns over the course of my lifetime. We should do one because well, I'm very curious. So I know what just to, to now, kind but, of flesh out a little bit of history. So Right, but it, I, oh, yeah, sorry, there's Bagel. some very... There's some very interesting uh, two-cylinder history that's involved with Lambretta that I wanted to mention because back in the 1960s, Lambretta designed a two-cylinder engine that they wanted to put in, into production, mm-hmm. uh, which was based on on their the the same layout as their their single cylinder, but made wider for two cylinders, and they had plans to <clears throat> to put this into their their production bikes. But for some reason, and and maybe it was cost, maybe it was you know, the changing scooter market that they decided they, they it wasn't worth the investment. I'm not entirely sure, but they never went into production with it. And and Lambretta aficionados have have been pining over the fact that this this engine was never produced because Lambretta engines are highly tunable, and that's one of the things that makes Lambrettas so 
so desirable even to this day is because they, they have they have a, an enormous performance potential. And to have a two-cylinder Lambretta engine that could be tuned that way, I mean, that's kind of mind-blowing in terms of the scooter world. So even though this this engine never made it into production, because there is such a an absolutely devoted following among Lambretta owners and and and, and providers, suppliers, you know, uh, shops that 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 support these bikes. Uh, Rimini Lambretta Center in Italy and Casa Performance have developed a new liquid-cooled 250cc two-cylinder two-stroke engine with a five-speed manual transmission that will fit in in any vintage yeah. Lambretta. Let's get a dozen of those, <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> race them. But and, they, um... and this was. This was announced last year, and it's going into production this year. So that that is is something that's very, very, very cool in the scooter world that's happening right now. So Lambrettas you were actually able to buy for many, many years via India. Now, India's yes. got a very, very interesting history when it comes to vehicles because yes. um, what they will do is when a popular and well-made vehicle gets towards the end of its life oftentimes all the tooling and the manufacturing rights will be bought wholesale by an indian company and yep. production resumed now in terms of bikes they did that with the royal enfield bullet and mm -hmm. there's two histories to royal enfield and we've covered this in the history hole in the past there's British Royal Enfield, which basically went from the beginning of time to 1970. And then Indian Royal Enfield, which, of course, is still going strong. Now, there's a car company called Hindustan. And famously, they've, they've done two major cars of note. They did the Ambassador, which was based on a Morris car from the 1950s. But then they did a more modern car called the Contessa, which is a copy of a very popular British car called the Vauxhall Victor, which um, I think Victor production finished in like 78. And then they picked up. And I think you can still buy Contessa's brand new now. Um, yep. and so there's knockoff Lambrettas being made in India. Well, they're not really well, they, knockoffs. They, they are Lambrettas. They just well, sold them the name, the label? Well, I just well, read that Innocenti mm, bought it. Well, well, Innocenti was the company that that originally made Lambretta. They sold the the tooling and the rights to produce Lambrettas to Scooters India Limited in 1971, I believe, it was maybe 73, when Lambretta closed up shop. And they made, they produced bikes through until like I think the 1990s, until they finally went out of went out of production. But but since then, there's been a very convoluted history where the name has been sold to different people and companies it's become a clothing company for a number of years and then it went back to making chinese it was bought by a company that was making chinese produced bikes and then it's i don't know i don't know where it is even right now but it's 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 kind of it's been a very bizarre yeah. tale Liza's getting very excited who, who who owns ssr and benelli again oh is, uh, is it zhong shen we need to get them to buy Lambretta. Get them to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at this well, G350 and it looks but, good. 
Right. But, but even though, even though the name has been shifted around for years and years, the, the, there is sort of the stylistic heritage, I guess, if you will, of the Lambretta is being produced today in a bike called the Royal Alloy, which is a, I believe, a China, I believe it's a Chinese made bike uh, that was developed by an English company uh, that's now being sold in the U.S. too and having pretty good success with it. Um, and uh, in fact, I know one guy who owns it and he absolutely loves it. And he's a guy who's been a vintage scooterist for many, many years. Uh, but he, you know, even, even though it's got, you know, it's, it's quirks with the Chinese manufacturing and some material, you know, shortcomings here and there, he loves the bike well, and uh, it's got uh, a lot of going for it. As far as I was aware, the Lambretta was considered certainly in England, the superior machine to a Vespa. Because, mm-hmm. number one, it could be tuned. But number yes. two, it had perfect balance, whereas the Vespa carries its weight on one side. If you if you basically lift your legs up on a Vespa, it'll instantly try and fall over, whereas a Lambretta, it carries its weight right down the center. Is this true? True. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. And and I also do have one more note for two-cylinder scooters. Um there, there's uh, if you remember at the one show a couple of years ago, there was a custom built two cylinder scooter, uh, that's that was made by the scooter swap scooter swap shop in uh, Portland, where they had taken a I think it was a Minarelli one cylinder engine and basically machined a block to go between the two engine case halves to make it into a two cylinder with a custom crank. That's cool. And and uh yeah, and if you go to scooterswapshop.com, they they will they will make those for Minarelli or Piaggio engine bikes custom to your build. You know, building multi-cylinder two-strokes is actually easier than you think. Um mm-hmm. if you've got access to rudimentary machine shop facilities, you could really make a six-cylinder two-stroke. You oh, just yeah. you just press the cranks together and make them bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And the problem of course is the right. crankcases. But um, I think Minarelli use a crankcase that you could kind of build like a Meccano set and just keep adding to it and making it mm-hmm. as wide as you want. So right. um, I I still think there's value in the in in building a Thringle, which yeah. is <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, or or the menorah style rod <laughs> with the single big end with all the pistons attached to it. I think there's huge value in that. Yes, Liza. Yeah. How are we doing on time there? Is there anything else to wrap up for the well, I think thumper we should, category? I think we should get into some emails because time is getting on, darling. Because uh, I'm looking, I can see thumper behind you there. I can see, I'm just looking on the wall. You can see all the thumpers. Yeah. So uh, wait, Emma, what would you say? I want to know your definition. Best selling Big thumper of all time. Oh, best-selling big thumper of all time has got to be the KLR. There it is. The no, mighty, I mean, it really KLR. is. It doesn't necessarily mean the best. The KLR is a bike of many, many attributes, but I think Doug would argue that his XR650L is a far superior machine, and in a lot of ways it is. It's a thumper's thumper. If you're tall enough. Uh, (laughs) And then I'm sure that Jeremy would argue that his XR650 
R is a far superior machine well, to I that. Well, have, I have one of those, too. And you have one of those, too. <laughs> so. so, I mean, it's kind of like the fastest gun in the West. All bikes are valid. All bikes bring something to the table. Um, you know, the KLR is definitely a utilitarian choice. And I think to this day there isn't a bike that has as many accessories that you can bolt on as the as the KLR. I mean, the the it's bewildering the amount of accessories <laughs> you can buy for these things. Um, and, and just to clarify, I think we would all agree we're not saying it's the best bike; it's the best selling right. Big Thumper. Right. It, it by far, I feel. Um, well, when the zombie apocalypse <clears throat> comes and all the bikes bike go away, yep. what is the one thumper you want? To have out of get rid of all the other bikes in your garage because you have to run and kill zombies. I'm sure, Doug has. Oh, we have a whole podcast dedicated to that. Yeah. It, well, yeah, yeah. is it the KLR six fifty? I, I think it was the army. It was a diesel Ar- KLR. Okay. Yeah, the army issue okay. where they can run on three different fuels Perfect. or something. Yeah. But you know, we slightly differ. To me, even using the term thumper, I would find it very hard to describe any bike below one twenty five as a thumper. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, big or big or otherwise, I think. I think in order to f- define something as a thumper, there has to be a minimum cutoff. Um, well, funnily enough, big thumper is what John calls date night. <laughs> That's good. It is. I think date nights are going to be pretty lean. I thought it was big stumper. For the foreseeable future, isn't that right, Johnny? I'm, I'm in the motorcycle fun zone right now. <laughs> but that's okay, honey. Or this too shall pass. So we've got so some guys- emails. We got Craig has yeah. an email. Jim's got an email. And, I've and got an email via 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 email via email. But we'll let the boys read theirs first. All right, uh, we will kick it off here. Uh, hey, Misfits, this is from Mike in South Carolina. Hey Mike. hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Holy hell. That's a good way to start off any note. I just started listening to episode 508. That Connecticut compulsory organ donor law is horrific. Uh, I should be the guy in this, uh, this bill is for. I'm an organ donor, a regular blood donor. I'd even grow my hair out to donate that too. Uh, mm-hmm. I am for the laws that default to opting in as an organ donor. If you want to pretend this is a choice, wait, if you want to pretend this is a choice, what about out-of-state writers? They aren't necessarily going to know Connecticut law, and I don't know if they're subject to this. Also, I'm pro-helmet law. I don't believe uh, people who refuse helmets actually understand the consequences of not wearing a helmet. they either just arrogant or denial. If you disagree, I'll ask you this. How many people do you know, uh, or how many people do you guys know, only support wearing a helmet after a crash? I've never met a single writer that rode without a helmet got a head injury, and went back to riding without a helmet. I'm sure they exist, but I'll bet dollars to donuts they're a tiny minority in the already small group of people that have had that experience. I'm sure plenty of people strongly disagree with what I just said, bearing in mind what little I think of people who don't wear helmets. I still think this law is gross and disturbing. This is wrong. Capital letters. You shouldn't mutilate corpses for traffic violations. (laughs) I agree. That's a good way to put it. Uh, I'm glad the AMA is fighting for this, and I can't imagine it standing up to court scrutiny. With love, Mike from South Carolina. You know, it's a a very good letter. And the thing is I want to address about what Mike said. It's very, very easy to be very glib and blasé about it. And it's like, oh, if I'm not wearing a helmet, I'm going to fall off and I'm going to die. And, you know, I won't know a thing about it and it'll be great. 
But that's only one scenario. Mm -hmm. What happens if you fall off a bike not wearing your helmet, you hit the ground hard and detach both retinas, now you're completely blind. What happens if you hit the ground without not wearing your helmet and you get brain damage? So now your ailing mum, who is in no great shape herself, has to spoon feed you for the rest of your life. There's all these awful scenarios that really are a fate worse than death that can happen to you if you smack your noggin hard enough on the sidewalk. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've had a crunch without a helmet and it's it's no joke. Craig? Wait, Wait, Liza's got something. I, I do have an update on the loony bill uh, that it, it was called. Oh. So it has since come out. He said that he never intended for the bill to pass. It was a stunt to get attention to organ donation. In fact, um, back in 2017, Looney passed a bill that got workers 30 days off after they donated an organ. So he's a guy who is in favor of organ donation and bringing attention to it. But even though it, even though it was a stunt, something like that might pass, which is why the AMA exists, because people will make a bill having no intention to pass it, but then put it up to vote. And that's why the AMA is so important. Just wanted to point that out. Interesting. And yeah. Can, can we just agree that that our legislative process is not for making stunts and that's a yeah, bunch of BS? That's a huge waste I mean, of resources. But that, that's a waste of our public resources. Yeah, I'm absolutely. sorry. Absolutely. There you go. Update. Next up, go for the goozy. Yes, yes. Tim. Hey, Misfits. I was listening to last week's podcast number 510. And after you finished with the interviews from the AIM Expo, Liza read an email from Dusty in BC who was lusting after the not- very fast but completely gorgeous Moto Guzzi V7 Carbon Dark Edition. I Emma, fe- will you teach him how to say that right? Guzzi. There you go. Moto Guzzi. Guzzi. <clears throat> I felt. And uh, for our Hispanic friends, it's not a carbon dark, it's a cabron. 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 I felt compelled to chime in and completely agree with Emma's comment that there is nothing quite like a Gucci. I own a a 2010 V7 Cafe Classic in the love it or hate it Lajanano Legenano Green. I might have butchered that one. Legiano? Legiano. And I absolutely love the bike. Is it fast? No, but it has a ton of character, which wins in my book. From the classic body styling to the transverse V-twin and beautiful sound, it really stands out on its own. I will keep the bike forever, no matter what else is in my garage. So, Dusty, go for the Gucci! There really is nothing quite like it. And that's from our good friend Tim in Baltimore. Right on, Tim. Thanks. Thanks. Nice. Oh, is it me? It's you. Yes. Very good. So I have an email here from James. Hey, Um, James. Hey, James. Hi, Misfits. 
I am a new listener from Northampton in the UK who lives in the south of France. Lucky James. Um, I am slowly catching up with the past podcasts and find your interest, your material interesting to say the least. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it, darling? Um, a question for Miss Emma. Hello. Can you remember the stories about Lucky Kaiser? I think it would make an interesting addition to your podcast stories. Oh, God, Lucky. Um, absolute lunatic. I heard about Lucky Kaiser probably 35 years ago. And this guy is an Australian. And in Australia, there were quite a few Allied aircraft that ended up um, scrapped there after the Second World War. So what he did was he found a Spitfire engine that had been crashed hard. And a Spitfire is a 14-liter V12. And he cut the back cylinders off it. <laughs> and t- yeah, there you go. There's Lucky Geyser. Um, I'll find you the iconic. There he is. And then he cut the back cylinders, <laughs> cut the back cylinders off a Merlin engine for a for a Supermarine Spitfire and put it in a motorbike. Absolute lunatic of the highest order. Um, <laughs> and he would make a great just for the sheer eccentricity of it. And the sheer lunacy of his builds. I think it would make a great history hole. So you know what? Pin back your goals, James. I'll do it. And he said, um, keep up the good work. James. Oh, my God. I think it's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, those Australians have got far too much time on their hands. <laughs> and far too many completely unpoliced straight roads. So that's why they do things like that. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, and it's funny, back in um, the 1960s, certainly amongst car culture, the Australians really got a reputation of doing very, very high horsepower stuff, far in excess of what America was doing at the time because they had access to smaller cars. And so there was this whole culture in Australia of just getting the biggest friggin' engine you could and putting it in a small car and just scaring the bejesus like, out of it. Is that yourself. where Mad Max came from? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, last truth, mate. Better get around here with a tire iron, get this motorcycle out of my ass. Um, so <laughs> um, there was a whole culture built around it, and they actually built production cars like that. Um, they built this lovely little thing called the Holden Tirana, which was a really very, very small car, but it came with this really, really high-performance 6 in it, or it had an option for a V8. Very, very small car, and you could just buy it. Um, so I know I love stuff like that. Anything to do with putting big engines where they don't belong is okay in my book. <laughs> Tra-la-la. How about that? That's, you know what? That is amazing. <laughs> Funnily enough, that's what Craig calls date night. Oh! <laughs> putting big things where the they don't belong. They don't belong. <laughs> Craig. <laughs> do we have any, any more emails? Are we done with the emails? I think we're I done think so. unless you've got something. Now I have one Jug. more thing. Back to Thumpers. I checked Urban Dictionary. Yes. And it says Ooh. a custom motorcycle sporting a large single cylinder engine. However, that is by an, uh, was made by a user in 13 years ago. 
Uh, it has 28 yeah. thumbs up and 52 thumbs down. So majority of people yeah. don't agree with that. Yeah, exactly. But I thought it yeah. interesting just to see what might be out there on Urban Dictionary. But that, that could be modified. It's just for us to set the rule. Right. No, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out. Back in the 1960s, BSA had a range of single-cylinder bikes, one of the most famous of which was, Star, right? was the 441, um, the 441 Victor and Gold Star. However, they did two that I think are going to be pertinent to my argument. They did the C15, which was a 250, which I don't think is a thumper. However, they did a B40, which is a 350, which I think is a thumper. So perhaps that's where our delineation should be. 350 and above we can regard as thumpers, and perhaps below that by request only. All in favor say aye. 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 What are we we in favor of? I don't know. And so it shall be. (laughs) Well, just for reference, does anyone know what the largest thumper engine is? Of all time. Of all time. Well, it's got to be a ship engine. Uh, It is the 175 horsepower auto gas engine. So this was a... uh, uh, Okay, the auto is a very impressive single-cylinder stationary natural gas engine and is the largest remaining single-cylinder engine we know of in the world. It weighs about 25 tons. It has a 21-inch bore and a 30-inch stroke. (laughs) (laughs) Those are numbers we can get behind. It yields a displacement of 10,300 cubic inches, or approximately 170 liters. Wow. Produces 5,000 foot-pounds of torque. It's in a ship? Uh, It's a water pump. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Or it's a it's an engine for a water pump. Oh, the cat fights have already started. I gotta get my pets wow. in. <laughs> if you can hear that. Yeah. yeah, the neighborhood cats are going. Anyway, let's wrap bananas. it up. It's dinner time. Yep. Yep. Yeehaw. It's GTFO. Um so I think that's it. Do you have anything to la- uh, add from Ohio, Eliza? Uh just yeah, one last thing. Um we still have tickets available for our rally, March twenty-fourth through twenty-sixth. Um, we've added, uh, Jason Hans is going to come and do suspension workshop like he's done here. Um, we keep adding more stuff. Uh, our friend Carrie is going to do an art show there. How cool is that? I am going to be so, doing yeah. a uh, tire fitting class. And Greco Roman yeah. wrestling. Yes. <laughs> we, we just keep rounding it out. And so it's uh, just a reminder, our rally, uh, the castles and curves, um, our Patreon, all the links you can find uh, in the notes for our podcast every episode. So I think that's it. Um, nothing else to add from any of the boys in the room? No. Very good. Well, I think we should call it a night. Um, this is Emma. Good night, darlings. It's Tommy John. Craig. Nicky Jim, son. Douglas. Mm, bagel. Liza! And we are out of here! Cool. Cool. Cool.